Hey, welcome back to the Trevor Tysmith Show. Today, I'm going to be talking with my good friend, Dominic Marchese. He is a uh, former collegiate athlete just like myself. So we're going to go through some of the training style things that we've done uh, to get to that level. But uh, I know we have to start. Dominic, did you hear or see the smack heard around the world? Man, that thing with Chris Rock and Will Smith was unbelievable. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Could you imagine, though, like, what what was he thinking when he got out of his seat and walked up there? Do you think that he thought, we're going to get physical? This is it. I'm going to have to smack you. I'm going to have to punch you. Like, something's going on. Or do you think that it was really just uh, instinctually he was on his way up, didn't know what he was going to do? I mean, I think he had no clue what he was going to do. I know he was going to go up there and confront him, right? But I think at the end of the day, you know, if somebody's going to be talking about my wife like that, you know, and I think it's been going on for quite a while now where he's been making jokes and things like that about his wife, about Jada. Yeah, what was um, it that we saw What uh, in a previous award show or something? He cracked some joke about her that's yeah, been all over social media. I can't media. remember what it was, but it was everywhere too. Um, and I think, you know, Will Smith, I think at the, you know, at the beginning of it, they're – He's laughing about the joke because that's what you do when you're in show business, right? But whenever you're – you've had enough. I mean, people always get to the point where they've had enough of something, and then you just react. I mean, everybody does it. i, I got to ask, though, the one bone I have to pick with the situation is who smacks someone or punches someone and immediately turns around and walks away. I mean, see, that's why I think it. I mean, could have been staged. I don't know, you know, because uh, I mean, if I'm if I get hit by somebody, I don't. I mean, I guess they're in a whole different echelon of people, but you know, it's. I don't know. I don't know how I would react to that. If you take We're, out that little end deal where he is, uh, you know, given his verbal communication or whatever he's. Uh, what did he say exactly? Something with the f bomb. It was definitely some yeah. vulgar language. He was hot it to was try. Not kid friendly. <laughs> but when you, th but if you took that out of it, to me it looks fake. And I, I kind of see the smack. And when you look at it on frame, frame rates are a big deal, right? If they're shooting sure. that thing in a low frame rate, maybe you lost just the frame where there was right. an impact. But to me, it looked like a movie style smack. I mean. Didn't look like he made contact. There was no red on his face afterwards that you could tell in the uh, actual video. Maybe he got a little bit of makeup. It doesn't show through. There's some questions right. to be had. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it would just, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what I would do in that situation, um, being in front of all those people. Uh, you could see, I can see where you're talking about it being, you know, uh, fake with him being slapped and all this and that. I mean, his feet kind of slipped out from underneath them. Could have been because of shoes. I don't know. Um, but all I know is if I get slapped by somebody, I don't care who they are, I'm probably going to slap back. <laughs> well, that you know, that was the craziest thing I thought about the whole deal was it seemed like, okay, if you're going to smack the guy, are you not going to get ready for retaliation? Where is the right. retaliation coming? To me, it looked like I walk up. I give him a smack. I made my point. He committed to walking back like instantly. Like, how do you do that? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it credits to Chris Rock for having that much self-restraint, you know. I mean, kudos to him. Have you I seen think. all the jazz about uh, how they're kind of insinuating, hey, Chris Rock is about to go on tour, hasn't been on tour for a while. Uh, you know, is this really kind of a promo? I, I don't know. They made up right after it was over. There's just an awful lot of uh, instances where I kind of question whether or not this was a legitimate smack and whatnot. And 
Right. Well, know. and you know, with uh, with that being said, you know, Chris Rock's getting ready to go back on tour and that. Um, that movie, I, what's the name of that movie they they just made with Serena Williams? That uh, was depicting their I, lives or whatever. I haven't seen it, but I know what you're talking about. Okay, well, it won the award. Um, but in that video or in that movie, they're talking about you know how Serena uh, Venus is Venus, right? Yep. How her dad, how their dad was like, you know, very protective of their family and this and that. So it could have been a play on on both, right? Both the movie plus, you know, Chris Rock's tour. I don't know. Nobody knows. You know, I don't know. It, either way, Chris Rock is coming out of there with some great material for his show. His uh, future, you know, you got to think it's going to be in there. How do you go on tour and not be mentioning this? And how do you not look like a, a bit of a punk? You know, he got punked out for sure and didn't really do much with it. And unfortunately, the joke was about, you know, the G.I. Jane, which would have been fine. But you've got a whole lot of preloaded stuff with the whole hair loss deal. That seems that's a rough joke to put out there when you've got some real conditions taking place, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> It's it's just crazy. Um, I forgot what I was gonna say. Have you? Oh, no big deal. Have you? Have you ever? Are you big into watching the award show? I feel like award shows almost have been non-existent for most of America. No, I mean whenever you know whenever you sent me that message about that, I was like, Chris Rock got slapped by Will Smith. What the heck's going on? Like, I didn't even know the award show was going on. But I mean now, I mean if you think about ratings and stuff like that as well for TV shows. I mean, if the if the award ceremony is down in ratings, how are you going to get ratings to go up? I kind of wonder Great. what their ratings. If you put it on like a you know a plot chart, what they looked like immediately there after that, because you got to imagine that was early in the award show. Boom! Did they spike? Did everybody turn it on, or did everybody do what I did and sat on the internet and looked for all the clips? I mean, kudos to the internet. Could there be anything more funny? Then flipping oh, yeah. through social media on every <laughs> meme that's ever created. I, it's, it's, yeah. oh man, it kills me. There, there's a lot of funny people out there. There really is. Oh yeah. You know, it's just, I don't know, man. It's just crazy. I, I think with that, you know, with the rating thing and then now like, I mean, it's blowing up on social media, like you're saying everywhere. So how else are you going to get more views and more, you know, interaction within the show than to have something spike at the very beginning of it? Could it be a conspiracy? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. The only thing that I kind of struggle with the conspiracy concept is I don't really think the Oscars benefit. It doesn't mean that people are going to be watching award show from here on out. Like there's going to be a lined up ring for everybody to duke it out when they have a problem. The Oscars are not going to win out of this situation. Will Smith looks a little bit like a loose cannon, but I can't imagine he's going to have any issues with it. Chris Rock probably gets some decent material coming out of it when he goes on tour. But it's going to be interesting for him to spin that in a positive light. First of all, you cracked a joke about a women's condition. That's going to be a tough one to walk through. You also called out, uh, you know, you got punked out on stage. You got open hand smack. Talk about the <laughs> ultimate level of disrespect. <laughs> well, bam. <laughs> I just remember seeing his face. He's boom. He brought yeah, it together cool. quick, though. You got to yeah, give it to that He dude. really did. Could you I imagine mean, getting smoked him. in the face? bringing it back in and continuing with your performance. It's just, that is, uh, it's kind of crazy. I wonder if the coasts are doing different things. You know, in the Midwest, sometimes people look at things a little bit more conservatively. They're not really Mm -hmm. into the award show. I feel like the last decade has been terrible for that atmosphere. And you kind of wonder what the coast really looks at it. Does the West coast, East coast, you know, the, the more, 
you know, I don't know what you call liberal sides of things. Are they just really, really fired up about this or is it all just going to get slid under the rug? Yeah, I think we're going to hear about it for a little while. Um, I think that it will kind of all kind of teeter off, you know, because there's something else that's going to happen. Uh, just like there always is. Uh, doesn't take I long, mean, does it? No, I mean, you know, Chris Rock and Will Smith have been around for a long time, so they've they've worked with each other before, and they're professional about, you know, the things that they go through. I, I think they'll be okay. You know, I think everybody will come out smelling like a rose, just like they always do. Would you love to be on a fly on the wall at the after party? You know as well as I do, if you get in any kind of a skirmish, Everybody out there has been in some kind of a confrontation. If you're an athletic dude, you've been in some kind of a situation. And the amount of razzing and dazzling the rest of the night, talking about the event, talking about the conflict with all your boys, you kind of wonder what that would have been like in that room. Was it boasting or was Will Smith literally still crying about it? I mean, how do you go up and smack somebody and then shed tears nonstop? Come on, man. Yeah, I don't know how that kind of works out. I mean, I know like with, I mean, heck, if you and I are hanging out or, you know, my buddies are up here or whatever, you know, something like that happens. I mean, if I get smacked, I'm going to get roasted. <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah, for both parties. Uh, Chris Rock, how do you walk out there being a, a confident man with your chin held high? Oh, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, I don't know. Will yeah, Smith know. out here crying on stage. No one is going to, and it, I hate to say it, but you can't tell me that special is not going to include a call out of the Will Smith tears. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's going to be like the Jordan tears, right? Like, yeah, yeah. This guy is the, oh yeah. How many memes we're going to see of the tears. I mean, it's going to be unreal. It really is. You think he'll be up there and he'll, you know, he'll be cracking jokes about it. You know, he'll probably mention something along the lines of he shouldn't have cracked the joke. He wasn't aware of his condition or her condition. And you know, that's going to be the spin. It's going to be talking about what man gets up here, smacks another man, and then cries about it the rest of the night? You know, it's, that's what's <laughs> going to happen. You know it will. Yeah. I mean, and you can also take it to, you know, Will Smith is protecting against, or, you know, showing people to stick up to bullies and stuff like that as well. Because um, a lot of that's going on in, in schools, you know. I'm not saying that my, my son, he's in kindergarten now. Um, you know, he's not being bullied per se. But, I mean, there's instances where I've seen, like, other neighborhood kids and stuff like that have come off the the bus crying and things because of a bully at school. Isn't that a tough thing to see when once your kids get a little bit older and they get in that atmosphere where, you know, people tease them and the things they say, man, there is nothing more heart wrenching than hearing your kids getting made fun of or something. I mean, it's, it's terrible. And it it pulls at my heartstrings, you know, it's like, what can, there's nothing I can do. I can't be there at school, you know, to help these kids out or whatnot. Um, And I know my son doesn't do it, you know, because we don't raise him like that. Um, but, it, I mean, it, it's just a thing that happens every day. I mean, it just it's the nature of life now. Have you got the uh, secret little, you know, my, my daughter, she, her thing is uh, someone says stupid. She, d- remember, we, we can't say stupid, Dad. Remember, we can't <laughs> say. She has to say it five times before we move mm-hmm. on just because she knows that she can't say it. But, you know, yep. we should say sorry for saying stupid, right, Dad? <laughs> and I always get a kick yeah. out of that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I yeah always quit get saying that. it, would you? I always get the, hey, Mom, Dad said the bad S word. You uh-oh, know? <laughs> uh-oh, not that one. Yeah, I drop something, I say that, you know, the S word. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, what do you do? happens sometimes. I don't know. I think it's a, that kid thing is just, that's a tough one. It really is. I don't know. 
that I used to ever be. I've been pretty guarded my whole life. Never really been a super emotional person. But when you have, I have two little girls, you got a boy and a girl. And when you got two little girls, something about it, just all of a sudden you come out to be a big weenie. You start, you know, actually uh, <laughs> feeling some things. I don't like it. I don't like it right. at all. But yeah, uh, I mean, it's, you got to play the protector, right? You know, and that's just, that's your role now as a father. Yeah. I mean, have you had, uh, you haven't run into any of those types of situations yet? Not yet. Um, so my son plays hockey. Um, and there's a couple times where, you know, they're on the ice and they're, they play, you know, my son's six years old, right? So they play six U, six and under. And there's a couple of times on the ice where at the very beginning of the season, you know, these kids would go in and like just attack my son, push him over, knock him down, do whatever. Um, Did you get his feelings hurt and stuff or was it just part of the game? It was just part of the game. And, you know, he, he didn't really do anything about it, you know? So this is me being me. Um, I, after the game, you know, I said, Hey buddy, you don't have to take that from them, right? Like you can go after them, like do it in a, in a way that you're going after the puck or something like that, but you can knock them over too, if if you have to, um, not saying I condone violence, but you're playing hockey, right? So in hockey, you're constantly collusion. Well, I mean, just like like any, just like any sport though, I mean, Unfortunately, it's one of those things where you're not – it's the fine line to walk where you're trying to teach a kid how to play the sport because, quite frankly, if he's going to get pushed around all the time and knocked down, he's going to be out of position to shoot uh, later on in the, the game. You know what I mean? Like if sure. you need to hold your position to be able to score, then you need to make sure that they know they can't just come by and club you down real quick. And, uh, you know, so – that's a tricky thing. You're trying to teach yeah. these kids how to play the game right and not uh, condone, like, go smoke these other kids. <laughs> but, hey, you know, you can't get pushed around because if you ain't first, you're last, you know? Exactly. I mean? Well, and, like, with, with my son, you know, he's a, he's a very good skater for his age. Um, he's very fast on the ice. So, and he scores a lot of goals. He gets to the puck. He He knows basically, like, the situational awareness of where he needs to be at on the ice, um, which is kind of crazy to me because this is his first year playing. I never played hockey, so I'm still learning the process as we're kind of doing this whole thing. Um, but, I mean, he knows where he needs to be at. So he gets to the puck, he scores a goal, and goes back, gets back on the ice, and they come down, and he takes it, does whatever. So at that point, then we start playing these better teams. Now these kids are starting to – come after him more because they know that he's the kid that's going to go to get the puck. Right. And that's when all like the conflict stuff starts happening, you know, within the game. But I actually growing up, I I never watched hockey. I wasn't, you know, we grew up in St. Louis supposed to be this huge blues fan, but a lot of, I feel like your insane commitment to sports has to do with attending an event. If you go Mm -hmm. to a hockey game, game changer i was in uh, colorado for a ski trip uh two three weeks back and it was getting some bad weather in colorado and we had to get out of the mountains so we go back because we were flying out the next day driving through a little bit of snow but wasn't too bad we get down in town and we are have enough time to get to the avalanche calgary game and i mean to tell you we were four rows, five rows back and i'm a fan it was I bet that was cool it was very exciting i mean the the show is great where whoever made this projector thing where you project all these things on the ice i mean to tell you that is a very cool addition to putting on a show you've got yeah. all this amazing sound you've got the spotlights on the ice you know 
Star Spangled Banner. We've got a flag on the ice. How cool is that? They played yeah. the the Canada deal too. Uh, their national anthem. Put a Canadian flag on there. Got to see a fight. Um, you know, the, it, it it was hockey a really cool is, time. Hockey is the most enjoyable experience to watch, um, as far as like all sporting events go, in my opinion. Uh, it's fast paced. There's always action. You know, like within like a baseball game or a football game or something like that, you go to one of those type of events, you get up, you go to the concession stand, you go to the bathroom while the whole action is going on because there's so much downtime. In right. hockey, if you miss three seconds of a game by looking over at your wife or helping your son or daughter do something, you're going to miss something. I can promise you that. <laughs> yeah, there was a one one particular play. There was a turnover in front of the Avalanche goal. And I think McKinnon is his name. Not a mm-hmm. sorry guys, not a not a huge, huge fan. Just starting right. out here. But he got the puck and he moved down the ice so fast. He scored a goal. I want to say it was in like twelve seconds of the turnover. So it was boom. Turn the corner and twelve probably was even a little long. I mean, he mm-hmm. turned the puck around and moved all the way down, put a movie a move on the goal and, and he scored. I mean, it was uh it's such a fast-paced game, and it's fun to watch. And if you haven't actually been to it, I completely get it. It's not as cool on TV. It's hard to follow. You don't get how many so line hard. changes are occurring. You don't understand, like, uh, you know, a lot of the flow of the game is gone on TV. Right. But You know, and like, oh, sorry. <laughs> I was just going to say, as soon as I saw it, now when I mm-hmm. saw it on TV, I, I get it. You know, and and yeah, maybe that's why baseball and basketball and some of those things are a little different for me because when I played them as a kid, I, I could relate instantly from seeing them on TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, like the the cool thing is about going to one of those and starting to get into them. You know, the hockey games that is. Like I remember my first game, which was legitimately probably like four years ago, was the first time I ever been to a hockey game. I never really watched hockey, and my buddies were like, "Hey, let's go to the hockey game." I'm like, "Okay, sure." So we go, and we're sitting kind of like mid-level, you know, where you can you can kind of see like the whole ice, but you're still kind of just deep enough in where you kind of only see the action that's in front of you. Um, and it was cool. It was a great experience. A lot. It was super fast right there, right? You kind of see the pucks going, the guys flying around. But then my second time I went to a hockey game, uh, we sat like basically up in the nosebleeds in like a box seat. But like you got the whole aerial view of the ice. Uh, which I thought was really cool because then you got to see like how it actually worked. Right. Um, meaning, you know, how the plays develop and all this and that on the ice, it was just kind of really intriguing to me because, you know, I played basketball back in the day and you go, you run through plays on the, on the court and you kind of figure all that out. And it was kind of see to see that transfer over into the hockey realm for myself anyway. I think one of the coolest things, and you you may be the same way, is when you're at that upper level view, it's interesting to see the limit the limitations of skating on ice come into like the ultimate execution of where you can turn the corner and keep all your speed, how you can transition through the defense and, and pass the puck right in front of the net, but it requires you to come around the back of the. It's just kind of it's a. As soon as you see the flow of the game, in my opinion, is a completely different experience. And I kind of wish that I got into that a lot earlier. I mean, I've been to a ton of (laughs) Chiefs games and watching a hockey game. I don't know that I didn't enjoy a hockey game live more than football. Oh, I can guarantee you that. I enjoy hockey, watching hockey way more than any sport just because it's so fast paced. Right, um, right. And, you know, I tell – I joke with my mom and dad all the time. I'm like, 
you know, how come you guys never got me into hockey? You know, well, it's so expensive. Well, yeah, I get that. But like, I would have been good at hockey. You know, like it's fun. We had a, uh, at the end of the year, we had an end of the year wrap up practice, right. For, uh, my son's team. And it was, uh, parents versus the kids, right. It was like a little scrimmage game against them. And I tell you what, I had never had so much fun in my life. <laughs> really? You know, I mean, just skating around. Cause like, I'm a decent skater. I wouldn't say I'm the best skater in the world, but I can stop and, you know, do some of the normal functions of, of a hockey player. Right. Um, but like just getting the puck and like, it's just something different about going out there with a puck and a stick and, you know, trying to score a goal. Right. Did, I mean, did now you ever yeah, do, did you ever do like roller hockey and things like that as a kid? I mean, we played tons in my basement growing up. No, I mean, yeah. I mean, we played like floor hockey, right? Like in gym, like running around the floor with the hockey stick and the hockey puck, which, you know, it's fun, but man, that's a lot. It's tiring. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I understand. I get it. Now, do you think that, uh, have you found that the hockey is any different than baseball in the sense of, are you doing it more days a week? Do you find it to be youth sports is a, a lot more of the same? I mean, I would say from when you and I played baseball growing up, little league and stuff like that, youth sports is completely different now. Um, I mean, the hockey team, we're on the ice three to four nights a week um, for an hour. And they have six stations set up throughout the This is the six years old. This is six years old, man. And it only goes Jeez. more practices as they go up in age, right? So, like, next year he'll play 8U, which is 8 and under. Um, but going back to the 6U thing, they had – it's an hour of ice time. You had six teams practicing at a time. And you had six stations set up along the ice, uh, 10 minutes each station. And they would do all kinds of drills, shooting drills, passing drills, uh, skating drills. I would say probably about 80 to 85% of the practice was just them skating around. Uh, sure, still like, pretty young, though, learning how to turn corners. Yeah. And, I mean, and the thing is, though, like with hockey, with, especially with ice hockey, if you can't skate, you can't play hockey. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So their their biggest focus around it all is just skating, which is great, you know. So growing up, I played soccer when I was young, young like that, and then I also refereed soccer all of high school, which was a cool income. You know, you got to go out and have a little fun and, and run up and down the field, make some money on a Sunday. But I remember actually looking after and refereeing these six and under games. And I only did it for about a month because I thought it was so unbelievably boring. I mean, it's herd ball. You talk to any parent, they feel the same way. Everyone's just trying to learn the game. Is ice hockey at that age, is it a similar concept? Everyone just kind of sprinting after the puck and a little bit of a herd ball feel? I would say at the beginning of the season, yes. It was kind of like everybody just moving pack to pack, right? Trying to right. find the puck. Um, towards the end of the season, I mean, since they are on the ice three, four nights a week, you know, and they're playing games in between as well, um, they start to realize the, I guess, what do you call spatial recognition of the ice, of where they need to be at, you know, to, okay, the guy's skating this way with the puck and he's going to pass it that way, so I need to be over here in case he misses it. Or I can come up and grab the puck. Right, right. right. It, it's just, it's really weird to me anyway, because I never, growing up, I never had any sport that was like that for me. Um, but seeing their growth in this whole process is astounding. I mean, it's, it's incredible. That's you know, pretty awesome. What does I that mean, look like as a journey for a young athlete? Like, you know, baseball, I feel like was a pretty drawn out process for us. We, 
kind of knew what it took to get to the next level. You knew what you had to do to play college. You knew that there was an opportunity to possibly play pro if you were good enough. What does it look like in that world for a six-year-old hockey player? Is there, you know, are they all talking about, I'm going to play pro hockey, this is how we're going to do it, or is it still kind of before all that? No, it's kind of before all that still. I mean, granted, I mean, they're still all learning. Um, A lot of times, you know, from just talking with different hockey parents and stuff like that, um, the best 6U kids now will more than likely not be the best 12U kids, you know, in six years. Um, But it's all because of how they grow and, you know, if they're still interested in the sport and things like that as well, right? I mean, I know my son will get home from an hour worth of hockey practice and he'll want to go downstairs and shoot pucks for another hour and a half, two hours. That's good that he still likes it. I've been seeing that burnout thing left and right. I talk to tons of parents all the time and it – They've got these kids in five different leagues and this and that and playing eight days a week. And I'm like, there's so many games. There's not enough yeah. days. You know, you're, you're up to thinking these kids are basically playing eight, ten days a week. There's only seven. You know, you, you can't play that much. <laughs> you really can't. You know, you don't need to play 14 games in seven days. It's not needed, you know. Yeah. And, you know, like the thing is, and that's why I always tell my wife, right? And I tell, you know, my son as well. I will do however much you want to do right? I'm never going to push you to do anything. If you want to play a sport, we'll sign you up for it. If you like it, great. If not, no big deal, right? Um, Especially with the hockey thing. Like when we first started this, I told my wife, I said, this is crazy. Like four nights a week on the ice and, you know, with games mixed in between, like this is a lot for these little guys, you know? Six years old. I mean, it's pretty, that's a lot on you guys, (laughs) the parents. I mean, I saw my wife, you know, Three times a week, maybe, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's nuts. <laughs> because the practices are at, you know, 5.30, you know? So I'm basically getting my son off the bus and then loading up and going to practice. I mean, that's just kind of how it's been. Um, but, you know, and, it's, and then back going back to talking about um, him wanting to do things and stuff like that, I'll sign him up for however much stuff he wants to do. Like, he's like, Dad, can we do a – is there any kind of, like, camps that I can do? Is there a summer team I can play? Oh, on? sure. There's somebody out here trying to make money. There's something for you to sign oh, yeah. up for. <laughs> so here we are. We're doing uh, spring hockey, which is like 20 games, and then he's doing. Uh, it's a camp that's like it's every Sunday, uh, starting I think in June, something like that. Um, and it goes till basically the time that they try out for the eight U team next year. So it's going to be an. Ex- exciting experience i think for him um again you know i don't push my son to play hockey i don't push my son to play any sports as long as he wants to do it i'll let him do it and i'll give him every avenue that he can you know use to be as good as he can be at it sure you're just being a good parent i mean that's what it's all about you know what do you, so when you were growing up was there a time at which you felt or that you could remember that things started getting more serious for you in baseball? Was there a point at which you started going more nights a week? You, all of a sudden, mm-hmm. everyone's wanting you to be on select teams. You know, what What was that time period or what age were you when you think that started? Because six, I don't remember six being the time for baseball when we were growing up. No. I mean, so my baseball journey for myself is completely different than anybody's journey. I can, I can promise you that. So I played t-ball one year, right? So probably six years old, five years old. I hated it. Couldn't stand it. It was too slow. 
I mean, I don't know if that was a coaching thing or whatnot, but like I didn't start playing baseball until I was in seventh grade. Yeah, that's different than everybody <laughs> for sure, right? Yeah. You know, like never really play. I, I played catch, but like I never really played a whole lot of catch growing up. You know, or in this and that. Um, it was my basketball coach played CYC basketball. Okay, and at the end of the practice, his son played baseball, and at the end of the practice, they would play catch. So coach is like, hey, why don't you bring your uh, baseball glove here next practice and play catch with us afterwards? We're just going to have like, a little fun, you know, bring your glove. <laughs> yeah, bring your glove. No big deal. He's like, you're left-handed. You, you know, we'll see what you got. So I'm like, okay, whatever. So I bring my glove, and we're playing catch. And I always threw hard, you know, as a kid. And uh, coach is like, hey, you should really come play baseball for me. I'm like, eh, nah, it's not my thing. It's it's too slow. I'm more of a basketball, soccer guy, you know. Yeah, because um, you're made for it. All that height. Yeah, and stuff I got a lot have. of height here. You know, yeah, the I'm, the height. A, you're made for it. Yeah. Yeah, center. I'm center material, right? Yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> like a six ten guy. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like six ten, but different. Uh, <laughs> but like shorter and like not as tall. Uh, yeah, kind of. Um, so he wanted me to to play catch and play baseball for him and do all that kind of stuff. So. Probably after a few weeks, right, of us doing this thing, he's like, you need to play. I said, okay, I'll play one season, just one. He said, okay. Well, ever since then, I was hooked. Um, played outfield, did all that kind of stuff. But, like, thinking back to those practices, I mean, we practiced maybe twice a week and then had a game, right? Probably played, like, 12 to 20 games in the summer, you know, type of thing. Um, but then, like, eighth grade year – is when I got into the more like select ball, right? Cause oh, I was good, right? Like good, whatever. And, uh, my buddies or my coach's son was trying out for this team. He's like, you should try out for this team as well. And so I tried out, made the team and it was just off to the, off to the races after that. Yeah, as soon as you get in that, the word select, as soon as the word select is in there, all of a sudden you got practices every night, you know, all that kind of stuff. I, I was a similar way, you know, played city league stuff. And then all of a sudden, some point in middle school, you get in these select leagues. Now, all of a sudden you're playing four or five nights a week, double headers on the weekend. And did you ever get burnt out anywhere through all that stuff? Or did you always enjoy it? So baseball for me became like an addiction, right? So, like, I always wanted more, right? So, like, I was a guy in high school that would, as soon as I got out of class, we had practice at, like, 4 o'clock. I'd be like, hey, coach, you know, let's, after school, before practice, can you meet me at the cage and let's hit for, until practice starts. So, he would go down there with me after practice, after school, and I'd hit, you know, for a while. Um, and then I was also the kid that was like, hey, let's do some more after practice, coach. Can you help me out here? And I would hit more balls with him there. And then, again, it was at home. Hey, Mom, will you throw me some soft toss in the in the net? So I did that. You know, I was probably hitting back in the day, I would say five to 600 balls a day. Right. Um, yeah, I didn't have the hitting quite as much. I mean, at an early age, I was a little taller and bigger than everybody, so it was pitching that was my deal, you know. And mm -hmm. I remember throwing buckets and buckets and buckets of balls into a net, just throwing yeah. heaters across the yard. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. yeah. Probably the worst thing for your elbow and everything else as time goes on, how many I was throwing. But, you know, if you got decent form and you're in shape and nothing hurts, just let it rain. That's it. I mean, in the, when you're little like that, you know, or younger, 
I mean, your body heals like that, right? Like, oh, the glory days. If now, I go back now I that. <laughs> now I wake up and I got a sore back. I'm like, what did I do? <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. <laughs> I can remember one time I was playing catch with my mom. Uh, and my brother came home or something and he was going to be the catcher. And I had to work on, cause it, again, I always practice thrown into this monster net. And I don't know if you've ever seen one of those pop-up nets, but they have that hang down strike zone. Yeah. But, jugs you know, Insta screen. Yeah. Yeah. But when, <laughs> when you're actually throwing into it, it's, it's too big in a sense. Yeah. It's not throwing to a glove. It's too big. If you're not really laser focused on some piece of it and you're really trying to hit just a small square, Mm-hmm it kind of makes you really wild. You know, that was what I found until later mm-hmm. on when, you know, a coach or someone had said, you know, make sure you're really focused on something small. And boy, what a difference that made. Cause I was just, Hey, I hit the net is eight feet across. I hit it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, I hit the square. That's this big. Yeah, right? So like. my brother squats down, he's ready to play catch. He's got the glove up. My mom stands in the batter's box. I never had any idea where it was going. And, um, <laughs> I throw this heater and it, you know, I don't really know how hard it would have been, but your distances were all different. So I was probably what, 45 feet. I mean, if right. you could throw a ball 65 mile an hour at 45 feet, yeah. you're going to throw an absolute heater off someone. <laughs> and I hit her in the ankle and her ankle got so black and blue and huge. And I felt so bad. <laughs> she was a trooper though. She stood in there while I was just throwing <laughs> gas. She had to have been terrified. And I mean, <laughs> terrified. I never knew where the ball was going. I had my Mm. thing. I come set. I take my breath. Heater! (laughs) Heater! (laughs) I remember that was what it was all about, man. How hard could you throw it? How hard can you throw it? You know? Well, yeah. How hard and for how long, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. I got another hour in me, mom. Mom. Mom, where are you you going? (laughs) She had this glove from, I want to say, 1985 this thing barely covered her fingers she's just taking palm shot after palm shot in this glove and yeah we never really knew any different i I don't know that she thought that she needed to go buy a glove but the one that she had let me tell you it was not large enough (laughs) no padding in that one (laughs) yeah did did you get any access to uh any types of trainers early on like that were teaching resistance bands or working shoulders or or when did that stuff kind of become a part of everything no so like in, well, let's say I would say my my freshman year in college, uh, played at a JUCO here locally in St. Louis, and uh, we did what they called jobs, right? So it was like two pound, three pound weights, and you did you know some these guys, some arm raises, sure, all your rotator cuff inside, work all your rotator stuff, work you know workouts. Um, then they inter- implemented like some you know some gym workout type things as well. Um, but outside of that, we didn't really use a whole lot of band stuff. Did you guys use a whole lot of bands? Well, I got pretty lucky. We had, uh, a guy named Brett Winchester where I, I think he's done some stuff with the Cardinals and he travels all over now kind of teaching different formats of chiropractic and they call it art where it's like massage therapy mm-hmm. slash whatever. And, uh, you know, we had access to him at a super young age. He came back after doing all of his schooling stuff. Uh, and then was giving free classes. So we were doing tons of upper level mobility work for your hips and shoulders, doing all kinds of fundamental things for rotator cuffs, um, trying to stabilize your labrum and, you know, make sure you weren't going to get hurt. But I was doing a lot of what I do now for K-Bands training. Shoot, I was in middle school, I think, when he started doing those. We'd go two days a week. I think he offered free sessions or training sessions and whatnot. So 
a lot of that stuff was a big part of everything and probably why my arm held together throwing as much as I was, you know? Right. Yeah. So you had the different experience, right? Where like you, all, you started playing baseball when you're really little and, you know, played throughout college, right? Yeah. I, I almost got addicted to the training as much as I got addicted to baseball. I was right. all along, all the way through it. It was working out on top of um, that. I mean, I was kind of an overweight kid, so I got introduced to the whole fat loss thing and trying to eat right at a pretty early age too. Cause let's be honest, getting made fun of is not that much fun. So no. I had to figure that one out right away. You know, I'm like, Hey, <laughs> this is for the birds. I got to get rid of this. So I kind of had always been doing a ton of research and learning how to just achieve the goal that I wanted to achieve, you know, and learning right. those things from that guy, I got addicted to training just as much as I did anything else. Cause you know, I feel like if you go to a chiropractor or you go to someone that's doing rehabilitation stuff on you, there is no way you are not all in if they fix something. Oh, if, 100%. If you have a chronic deal going on that you're miserable and someone literally, you know, takes you through some kind of a rehabilitation protocol or you get going on their schedule and working out and they fix it, hey, I'm on board. Whatever you want to talk about, I'm on board. You know, yeah. you, you know what you're again. talking about. I want to do more of that. You know what I mean? Yeah, and absolutely. So I was introduced to that probably in, in middle school. And uh, I remember when I was first starting K-Bands training, um, I went to him with the K-Bands and some of the other products. And it was cool. I hadn't seen him in several years. And I, I kind of went through him with the, the product lineup that we were going to release. And you know, what do you think about these things? Do you think that, um, you know, they're as applicable or are they going to work just as well as what I'm seeing? You know, I was training a whole bunch of athletes at the time and I'm seeing great results. And he kind of walked me through the biomechanics and the elements of it that were insanely targeted with wearing the bands. And it was just a really cool experience. I haven't talked to him in probably a couple of years now, but uh, I'd like to get back with that guy. He's He's a really, really knowledgeable dude. Yeah, I mean, that would be great for you guys, you know, to kind of talk about you know different things with the bands and how they can be implemented and hell there may even be some more things out there now that oh yeah you could create something else for you know what i mean so that's something else to think about yeah i might have to get him on the podcast you know ask him some questions hey, i got well. all kinds of good questions for him he'd be a heck of a <laughs> guest i know if i was a youth athlete and and you had access to that kind of content i mean I can't tell you that that's where I started K bands training. That was what it was all about. You know, when I was growing up, if someone would have just told me exactly what to do to throw harder, I would have done anything they said. And absolutely. Uh, I would have done every rep. I would have done every set. I would have slept as much as you told me to sleep. I would have done everything imaginable. And, you know, so I just started posting video after video after video and then just trying to teach little kids on how to get better. You know, there's yeah. nothing worse than not having the tools, you know, Right. Now, did you have any kind of like pitching instruction or like hitting instruction growing up as well? You know, I kind of had like a odd experience. I, I remember I was uh, in like Corey or City League stuff and we beat the number one, you know, champion team or whatever. And I pitched that game and I think I gave up like a one or a two hitter. And from then on, that team recruited me and wanted me to be on their select league. Obviously. So I went on their team and... Again, my personality type is tell me what to do and I will do exactly that. And it might have been to my own demise for an awful lot of my journey because if you told me to raise my arm slot up a little bit, I would move it up three inches and I would watch film and I would throw from that arm slot over and over and over and over until I had it down. And 
to be quite honest, my arm slot is lower. And it might have been all the way until college until I realized the natural abilities is a big part of sports. And you Absolutely. can do all the tweaking and form, all the tweaking and technique that you want. But there's just this little bit of a if you ever see that movie where he's like the Carlness, you know what I'm talking about? The, <laughs> he's like, you got the Carlness, you know, and what, what yeah. in essence, what he's talking about is you got that something special. Right. But as I've gone on through sports and athletics, it's like these coaches these days, I feel like your job is not to critique everyone's form and make them fit in one box. You have no. got to take every little athlete and realize what they're good at and make them the best at what they're good at. Because, I think for several years, me throwing in a, a three-inch higher arm slot was to my detriment. I lost a lot of movement in the ball. Uh, I had a hard time throwing a breaking ball from that angle. Uh, my changeup was absolutely trash because it was not my slot. It wasn't where I like to throw things at. Mm -hmm. And it probably wasn't even until, yeah, like I said, nearly into college before I realized my arm slot was way down here. And that's where I used to throw. You know, I looked at old videos, and that's where it was. Right. Yeah, I mean, so like – Talking to that point, you know, with being a kid and taking instructions, stuff like that. Um, so I used to teach pitching and hitting instructions for, heck, I did it for probably about six years uh, back here in St. Louis at two different facilities up here. And uh, my whole thing was, and I, and I told all the kids and parents as well, I said, I'm not going to sit here and say, this is how it has to be done. Your arm's got to be here. Your leg's got to be like this. You got to go like this. I said, what I'm going to try to do is teach you guys how to throw strikes or I'm going to teach you how to hit a baseball. The best way that I know how with your mechanics that you guys already have set up, right? Because, I mean, you know just as well as I do, you throw differently than I do. I throw differently than you do. So there's no two people that are the same. Nope. And you either have it or you don't. And you're going to do it your certain way anyway, no matter well, you, what. You can, you so can see how, it in the MLB right now. I mean, if you yeah. really analyze the pitchers from top to bottom, every one of them throws the ball different. You got every a guy in there that throws way low, you know, and, and that's just how he naturally throws. You can't duplicate that. Take that guy throwing over the top and have him throw down there. He can't do it. It's impossible. You no, know, take the guy happen. that's down here and bring him over the top. I bet he loses six mile an hour. You know, it just that's the way it is, man. It's just you have to – Eh, kudos to you you know that's the way you should be doing it for sure yeah and and you know like hearing other instructors and stuff like that as i'm going through this thing they're like oh well we need to all get in line and we got to have our hands here and then we got to move our feet like this and we got to have a leg kick and we got to do this and we got to do that i'm like no my biggest thing is i'm going to teach you guys how to go from point a to point b as fast as you can and most efficiently as you can and as long as your bat goes from here to here in a nice pattern, I don't care what you do, right? Right. Now, one thing that I did a lot with kids, um, because it helped me out when I was, was, you know, just learning basically how to hit myself, was I took out the leg kick, right? So instead of picking up the leg and then dropping it back down, well, I would just start there anyway. You know what I mean? So I would start basically where I'm going to end up. And right. then I would just load off that front and come through and swing and hit. Make it um, a little simpler. Yeah, because I'm cutting out a step. The more steps you have going on in a process, the more things that can go wrong within the swing or the pitching stance or, you know, whatever it is like that. So sure, I would just try to delete all the nonsense and get them to go from here to here as fast as you can get there. Yeah, I mean, I see your point. I, the trouble is, is maybe for some people that they, they – 
they naturally could do that big stride. And that would be the crazy thing is when you see some of these athletes that can do these really crazy stances and they can develop more power. You think of Bryce Harper, that guy Mm -hmm. probably at a really early age, if he had the wrong coach, he might be in a completely different situation because that big leg kick, if he wasn't actually making great contact, I can promise you his coach would tell him to quit doing that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and like going, I mean, I wouldn't say my, tell the kids, oh, this is how you have to do it. But if they, if their mechanics were so jacked up, because a lot of times, especially these younger kids, they'll watch an MLB game and then they'll try to mimic their favorite player, right? That's basically what they're doing every time. Right. And I always ask them, they go, how much money are you guys making this year? They kind of look at me all crazy eyed. And that's like, a pretty oh. funny question <laughs> and i'm like they're like well, we're not making him i said exactly i said so all your a-rod stuff that you're doing with your bat and leg kicks i said we're, let's just try to get rid of that just try it out for me let's see well, what the, the big key is are you making contact if you're not making contact then all that funny stuff you're doing let, let's make it as simple as possible you know yeah. I, I don't know that that's not part of it if you could build a young athlete's confidence and you can teach that young athlete you know, be natural, be fluid. Are you making good contact? If you're making good contact and you want more power, can we get more out of your swing? Can we get a little bit more velocity out of your pitching stance? You do kind of close yourself off, but it does give you better movement. Are you throwing strikes? You know, are you a skinny bean pole? Maybe we need to build a little bit of core strength and you might have a decent fastball there rather than making you a 12-6 over the top kind of rotation to try to weasel out some MPH is on your, you know, a four seam fastball, you know, right. That, that was kind of like a lot of the tips that I was getting when I was younger is all of the coaches that I worked with were very over the top guys. They were 12 to six rotation. They threw really heavy balls and Mm -hmm. that's what they tried to get out of me nearly as soon as I joined their team, which unfortunately for me, it kind of, there wasn't a lot of slingers out there, you know? So a guy that's down low, that three quarter slot, you know, has a lot of movement on their ball. That's what made me successful. So mm-hmm. me thinking, come set, throw the ball, get the hand up, get good rotation on the whatever. That's the way my brain ticks. Every little millimeter of movement, my brain wants to make it perfect. And, you know, perfectionism is cool until it's not. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> until it's not. <laughs> you know, did you, did you have any coaches ever try to change your form or change the way you were either hitting or throwing? No. Um, and I, and I think that's why I taught these kids the way I taught them. Um, because I never had a coach that was like, well, we're going to take your arm slot. My arm slot was always about right here, right? Right on the side. And I never had any coach that, Oh, you got to come more over the top or you got to drop down a little bit more. Um, it's because like, you had a positive result. You threw hard, you know what I, I mean? I threw if you, hard and, yeah. and I could throw strikes. Right. So that, that helped me out. So the coaches would just like, I had Al Nipper as one of my pitching coaches. He was the Boston Red Sox coach for the longest time, um, for the bullpen. And, uh, you know, he would break it down and, but he was just real genuine with it. Like he would say, you know, we're not going to change you from here because, you know, if you look at this other pitcher, who's a major leaguer, he, he throws like that too. So it works. You throw hard, you're throwing strikes. So let's make, let's try to get the most out of where you're at right now because it's the most natural for you. And, you know, we just kind of built upon that. I would like, I would have died to have a coach like that. You know what I mean? Like that would have been perfect. I mean, I think my demise with, with baseball and the reason like I kind of stopped after college was I didn't get into the gym in at an early enough age 
to get like the workouts and stuff like that down to where when I got to college, I was just building upon more mass and, you know, a stronger arm or stronger legs or whatever. Um, I probably really didn't start hitting the gym till I, it was probably senior year, high school, right? right? You know, freshman year of college. I mean, I don't know. It sounds like your journey started way differently. You started working out at like 12 years old. <laughs> well, unfortunately, yes and no. Like like I said, I had uh, a very unique situation because I'm an extreme perfectionist and it like it can be a good thing or a bad thing. And I wish that I would have known more about diet and nutrition as far as a sports performance level would have been at an earlier age. Um, you know, being an overweight kid, it kind of went the other way. I learned how to lose fat, but I also learned how to lose all muscle mass. And then I also learned how to maintain such a low caloric intake that I didn't get to build muscle. So when I hit this huge growth spurt, rather than having proper nutrition, enough protein, getting in a good carbohydrates, having a balanced deal, I'm eating a box of donuts for breakfast because, you know, I'm six, four now weigh a buck 65 and everyone's telling me I need to gain some weight. <laughs> So I guess I'll just try to eat some donuts. I mean, yeah. uh, unfortunately, that was kind of my, I worked my tail off. I did all the exercises. And then until I understood what nutrition had anything to do with anything, it's kind of spinning your wheels. You know, if you don't have any building blocks, you're not really going to put on much of that size that there is. And, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time, you know, in videos and things trying to preach core strength, stability, all those things, because mm -hmm. You know, that's something I feel like is downplayed an awful lot. When you have these kids that are in their growth spurt, you're not going to see these positive muscle gains that they want to see. Ego is a huge thing in high school. Oh, and yeah. when you're getting in there and you want to get in the gym and you've got all these guys that developed a little bit earlier than you and they're lifting more weight than you, all you're trying to do is lift that amount of weight. When in all reality, it's just not going to happen. You're in the middle of a growth spurt and you are not going to be building muscle until them bones get a little longer. And it just yeah. is what it is. And I think that there's some of those transition points that if people were a little bit more realistic with what's truly going on, you can't just muscle your way through a growth spurt. But if you were smart about it, you could build really firm, consistently long, strong rotator cuff, labrum that's in perfect alignment, get your stability, your, your back muscles all really trying to support your chest when all of a sudden you're just trying to get every ego lift there is. Um, you know, get the body in shape as far as your core is concerned. Or, or can you do a side plank? Can you do a normal plank? There's just so many exercises that you could do during that stage to develop your coordination faster. I think that is like the ultimate goal of youth sports that if you get to that point, and I get it, Remember, when you're a kid, all of a sudden, you, you almost are an adult at that like 8 to 12-year-old range. Your body's not growing. You get stronger than your peers if you're the most athletic one in the group. You're better across the board at every bit of the sport. You're faster. You're stronger. You're more athletic. You have great confidence. And then when you hit your growth spurt, for some people, if you get real tall, it's like everything gets put on hold. And if you hit that growth spurt after everyone else, it could be a bit of a confidence, you know, boot. You, yeah. You're not the biggest. You're not the strongest. You're, you're none of those things, but, or even your coordination fades. You know what I mean? Like for me, when I grew, right. my coordination was really <clears throat> lacking. I played basketball uh, as well. And when I played basketball, all of a sudden I was a terrible defender because I couldn't move from side to side. My bones would not keep up with my brain. I just could <laughs> not make them do it. And I don't know that I yeah. looked goofy or anything, but I was not like an elite defender. And it was because I was growing so much. 
And, um, you know, when I use K-bands with athletes all the time, that's what I see a ton of. If you can build your hips at an earlier age in that little window, man, you just get it back so fast. Right. And I mean, like, so like talking to that point, I mean, uh, these kids nowadays, they have like conditioning practice. They have weight training practice. Okay. So like, I know for my son's hockey thing, they do this thing called dry land practice, right? So it's 45 minutes of shooting drills, which is all off the ice. It's like a synthetic ice that they practice on. Um, but they also do like a whole workout. So they, they're, they're pulling sleds, they're flipping tires, That's uh, cool. they're doing sit-ups, push-ups. I mean, they're doing all the things that you're supposed to be doing. Um, <laughs> funny thing. It was, that was around Christmas time. We had that, right. The, the dry land practice. My son gets off the, gets done, and he's like, "Hey, Dad," I say, "What's up, buddy?" He goes, uh, "Hey, for Christmas, you think I can get a tire for Christmas?" <laughs> <laughs> like a I'm big like, foot tire? I'm like, "You want a tire?" I said, "What do you want a tire for?" He goes, "So I can work out, so I can flip it in the basement." <laughs> I'm like, "Oh my gosh, what am That's I going to cool, do?" That's cool though. That he's in it to win it, man. I mean, the, so like, I mean, his whole like demeanor about hockey. I have never seen somebody love something so much, right? I mean, almost it, it, I get teared up whenever I talk about it because I never loved anything like that. I mean, I loved baseball. I loved practicing it and doing all the things, but I was never like this kid was. So yeah. it'll be curious. I'll be, it'll be interesting to see how big he gets. You know, is he going to get to that ice hockey? height that he needs to be i mean let's be honest genetics play a big role in all this stuff so Absolutely. you know is he going to get over you know into the six foot range is he going to put on the mass at the right time you know mm-hmm. it sounds like I he's mean, doc- through all doctors the steps. say he's supposed to be six two so fingers Ooh, crossed right there boy. you know so we'll not see not from you though huh you- <laughs> no 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 <laughs> make so sure you thank your wife would you i don't think it's from them either <laughs> Oh, mailman. Well, I maybe. think it's, I think I think it's down the down the gene pool line, you know. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really cool. It's it's always fun to hear when someone really loves something. I hope that uh, I hope he continues to enjoy it. I've seen a lot of that burnout yeah. stuff, you know, all the youth training I've done, and you know, it's a shame when you see a kid really really love something and then it just kind of goes away or. You know, they get a girlfriend, and all of a sudden, mm, yeah. that girlfriend's a lot funner <laughs> than this sport. <laughs> I think most most men can relate to what that uh, what that scene Absolutely. looks like. Absolutely, right there. Now, have you been doing any other shopping? Have you looked at any of these? Uh, I just had some conversations with my brother about electric vehicles, and I've been looking at uh, the Ford Lightning and the Silverado. Have you looked at those at all? So I, I've checked out the, uh, I've checked them both out a little bit. Um, initially when the Ford Lightning came out, I was like, man, I want that truck. Like, it's cool. It's, it's futuristic, right? I mean, if my power goes out in my house, I can charge my house. I mean, how cool is that? Well, wasn't that the, one of the neatest things when they had that power outage in Texas, they sent those electric vehicles or maybe they were the hybrids at the time, but seeing that you could literally run, I think the story was, uh, some man's wife needed to be on oxygen their power went yeah. out for like a week and he ran her oxygen tanks off his truck. Now that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's some big time stuff, you know, that's the next level truck. And you know, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, like what, I mean, anymore, I mean, power outages are pretty few and far between, right. Unless sure. the power line gets cut or something like that. Um, I don't know where, where you guys are at, but all of our power lines and everything are under the ground. So it kind of eliminates most of that. Um, but it can still happen, obviously. Um, but it's like, you know, 
is that application really going to be something that I need to buy? You know, like I, I, I dug into it a ton and I have to say that just like everything else, don't get it twisted. The marketers have all sat down. They pulled out their notepad. They said, item number one, how do we make this $15,000 more than our current market? <laughs> okay. So now it's going to be this price point. Okay. So now how do we make more money than we would? Oh, let's take some of that stuff out. We don't need that anymore. Okay. Let's put a bunch of plugs on this baby to make it more unique. And then why don't we have some kind of an upgrade that makes this really expensive, but you have to have it. And it, to be quite honest, that is like exactly to a T this industry. Mm-hmm. When you yeah. look at the Ford Lightning or if you look at the the Silverado, now the Silverado on the other hand, they have a 400 mile range. Yeah, now, that's huge. The 400 mile range is seems to be a little bit higher than most of the competitors, but I don't think and I may be wrong, people will have to comment below if I am, but I don't think that it's been finalized yet or you can even order that Silverado. I'm not positive on that. No, I don't think that comes out until like 2024, 2025. Yeah, so, so I think they it's don't have all their they don't have all their pricing structures yet. They don't have all the stuff. They're probably going to sell a 300-mile one and then a 400-mile. Right. But when you really look at the model, the model is we're going to give you just enough miles to where you have to upgrade. Mm-hmm. You could do it, but it's going to yeah. be more inconvenient. So then right. you're going to upgrade and you're going to spend $90,000 on a truck. That's what right. they're doing. So my opinion is if, if Chevy is ahead of the game, what they're going to do is they're going to make the Silverado – the lowest model go as far as Ford's highest model. That's what they should do. It could be. I don't know. As of right now, they both have super similar features. The Ford Lightning, I believe that you can actually get it this year. That front, the frunk or whatever they're calling it in the front end of the truck. Yeah. That's that's pretty cool, you know, having that kind of size in the front where it's just a a standard trunk. That's a neat addition. Um, And then all the plugs and things in the back. I think of construction workers and things. If you could run all your tools out of the back and then when you get done for the day, plug them all in to charge overnight and you never have to take another step when you get home. That's a pretty great addition. I mean, yeah. Think about all the different add-ons you could do. Like, you know, other companies, they can make uh, toolboxes that plug into the outlets and then you put your, you know, your drill chargers in there, your saw chargers. I mean, literally everything you could charge off that one truck. The problem is, is that worker isn't buying a $90,000 truck. No, no, they're not. I mean, I think that truck is going to be about 105 to 105. Twenty thousand dollars. I mean, comment below if you guys think something different. But I mean, that's kind of where my ballpark's at right now. So the Ford F one fifty. After clicking around their site, the little Lightning, uh, they're claiming you could get into it like forty forty five. But let's be honest, that's probably what no one will buy. Um, and it's a, I think mid two hundreds is the range. So if you want the longer range, it's another ten or fifteen grand to get the three hundred plus range. I want to say when me and my brother were really digging into it, it was right around like $70,000 would get you a nice truck that you would think about buying. While if you bought a gas-powered one, you're probably around like 60. And unfortunately, I mean, they're all just kind of crazy. And these prices are, I know, of course, you're going to murder me in the comments talking about how there's cheaper options. But let's be honest, no one is buying a single cab XL these days. It's not happening. No. If you got kids, you need four doors. If you're even a construction worker, you're not just going to use that truck most likely only for driving to the job. So no. you're buying the crew cab. The crew cab start around 40, 45. 
you're probably going to do a little bit bigger motor than a 2.3 or 7, whatever that is, if you're pulling anything. So you're right. upgrading motor, you're upgrading that. You're going to get some kind of a package that looks a little nicer. And as soon as you do any of those options, you're into the 50s regardless. I went to yeah. uh, I went to the dealership um, maybe like a week ago to get some work done on my truck, and it, it was kind of interesting. The dealer told me that they are literally ten to fifteen thousand dollars over MSRP on all vehicles on their lot. So if they have anything on the lot, they're selling them for ten to fifteen thousand dollars more than MSRP. And if you buy them from the dealer, you got to wait eight months ish, and you're paying full price, no discounts, no nothing. Holy mackerel! Isn't that that's crazy? crazy? Well, I mean, like that's comparable to the housing market, man. Like, yeah, I mean, housings or houses in our subdivision, they're still building here. And I mean, they're going through the roof. I mean, they're raising the prices of these houses literally almost every other week. And it's like three to $5,000 a week. It's kind of crazy. I, I think um, <laughs> I spoke with another friend of mine and they are building a house as we speak. And they locked in at a rate of three, five, which was slightly higher than what everything was when they started the build. So we're at month, I want to say 11 or 12 now. And they said, if they don't get the property done, of course, in time for the, the lock in 60 day, that the rate is 4.8. So that's huge. That's a that's huge a, difference. Yeah. Man. You're talking, I'm spitballing here, but maybe 30 ish thousand dollars more by the end of it. Oh, it's probably a little bit more than that, but you yeah, think so? It's, I think it's a little bit more than that, but I mean, you're talking on, on a monthly payment. That's probably a difference of 400 bucks. I would have to do the math, but I would say it's probably 400 bucks different, three to $400. That's going to be a game changer, you know. I mean, that's how over long, a point. How long do you think it will take, or what do you think the rate will have to be to nearly like put the brakes on this this sprint? Because for full context, I have uh, you know several different friends and family that have all done this. Hurry and move. Hurry and move. We got to hurry and move because the interest rates are low and we get more value out of our house. So we got to go. We got to go. Tons of people I know have taken advantage of the selling your house for more. And buying for eh, more, Way but more. a similar payment, right? You're a similar payment <laughs> yeah, because similar of the payment. rate possibly. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you really look at that whole picture, what does the rate have to be to hammer the brakes? I mean, these people are paying more than asking price to get these homes. You know, what, what, what will the oh, rate yeah. have to be? Is it now? Is it 4.8? Is it now? I think that's probably, I mean, that's, that's high. I mean, 4.8 is high. Um, well, if we you're talking signed, to even your 400 bucks, if you put $400 more on a house payment, I would imagine most everybody's got to downsize the house by like 700 square feet. Don't they to pay the same price? Uh, yeah. It just depends. I mean, depends on what your selling point is and it's all what you can afford too. Right? Like, I mean, when we got our house, we paid, I think it was a 2.5% or 2.8% is what our interest rate is at. Right. Um, any more than that. I mean, there's no way. I mean, I just and wouldn't. we ain't ever moving. <laughs> I'm never moving. I'm locked in, baby. Locked and loaded. I mean, to tell you, though, it's, make a ride. It's, it really is, though. Is that not like a hard decision to make? I mean, what would you yeah. even be? We grew up or we bought houses and, are, and were part of the era of moving property in a time when interest rates were at the lowest ever. I've got yeah. a lot of older friends and people that I chit chat with, mentors yeah. and things, and they talk about when the rates were at eighteen percent, twelve percent. Mom and dads, yeah. <laughs> could you, could you imagine right no. now on what you're used to, your context of home buying? If the rates were literally at twelve percent, I would I would like live in my parents' basement. I think I would not have a house. Yeah, 
I'd yeah. be renting. <laughs> so to twelve percent, I wish I knew that off the top of my head. But why would that be safe to say three times the interest? I guess. I mean, that's what that means, yeah. correct? If you went from a four to a twelve, so yeah, it would be astronomical. Yeah, you're I don't probably know. talking about a th- almost a two thousand dollar increase on your housing payment. Yeah, right? that would be nuts. So do, you th- so do you think that uh, you'll see it fast? Like all the builders are going to get cut out to dry and uh, it's going to move back to renting? I mean, renting's not much cheaper right now. Renting is more expensive now. I mean, I've had a couple of buddies that are building in here right now that uh, renting a house and stuff like that. And some of their payments are just through the roof. I'm like, dude, that's more than my house payment. Like, <laughs> there's no way. Yeah, um, we, have, we have a close friend of ours that uh, just bought a townhome. And I think it's like a 1300 square foot townhome and it they her monthly mortgage is two hundred dollars less than renting a one bedroom studio six hundred and fifty square foot apartment. Yeah. That's nuts. That's nuts. nuts. And I don't see it I don't see any of this stuff changing anytime soon. Um I don't see it crashing. Um I don't see it I, I just don't see it going anywhere. I mean stuff you're good like so I'm in the transportation business so I know about, you know, truckload prices and things like that. So with the cost of goods going up, I mean, everything has to keep going up. Right. Um, just because that's how it's just how it is. Well, I, you got to think, though, the, the, a... the difference is, is when the interest rates grow up, then people are going to stop buying houses. True. That will slow. But it doesn't mean that anything's going to be cheaper. It doesn't mean that what's coming out of your pocket's going to change any. It no. just means that less people are going to be moving. Yeah. And, you know, we'll just kind of have to see what happens. You know, it, it's a, uh, it's a game that is kind of new to everybody right now. And, um, what has been going on for what, two years, three years, I guess, something you, like that. You know, one of the craziest things that I've kind of reflected on a bit that I think everyone probably thinks, but maybe hasn't thought of the words to articulate it. You can't tell me that this isn't feeling a little bit like monopoly money. Everybody two years ago literally just sent us checks. Everybody, hey, you get a check, you get a check, you get a check. <laughs> we, yeah, I mean, we, everybody's getting checks, and now all of a sudden we're just going to pretend the interest rates have to be higher. Well, they got to be higher, or we're all gonna we're gonna have problems. Oh, but we're gonna send you a check because gas is too high, and then we're gonna do it, it. Tell me it doesn't feel like it's monopoly money because. All you got to do is leave the interest rates low and everybody's still probably going to fire sale buy houses. Now, oh yeah. I get the supply and demand thing. I get that it you can't keep it up forever, but at the same time, just because you decided that the interest rate is 6% and slowed down the market, you still just decided that. You yeah. know, why don't you just send us a check cuz the interest rates are too high? Where's that? Can I right. get a could I get a home allowance? I'm going to need a thousand extra dollars a month because you know, the interest rates are at six and a half percent now. And I'm going to need that. And then don't forget my gas check because gas is now expensive as well. So it just, if you could just wipe out my debt too, I'm all in. I am all in. Yeah. I'm more than willing to live here. That's no problem. <laughs> Isn't that crazy though? Do you think that a gas check will occur? Do you think we're going to get a check in the mail for gas? I would hope not. I really, really hope not. <laughs> If that takes place, tell me that it doesn't seem like monopoly money. Oh, it would. It is monopoly money at that point. I mean, I mean it's just we were, we are our own demise at that point. I mean, there's just we should not do that. But at the same time, what's China going to be like? Hey, I'm going to need that check by Monday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Hey, you put that there. We kind of decided that uh, we're going to need some of that debt paid off, you know, and I think that's the craziest thing about that is I don't really see the end game. I don't really understand it. I don't. The whole world's going to have to collapse, but then there's probably going to be some kind of a global war or a conflict that, let's be honest, oh, debt's over. There was a war. Sorry. You know, I I yeah. could easily see something like that taking place or the government backs a, a crypto-based currency or something. I mean, I can see it. that happening. I can see the cryptocurrency kind of coming up a little bit more faster than what it is now. Think about it. And again, I understand that this is extremely complicated. And not that easy. <laughs> but think about this. You have this currency, right? Tremendous debt. You've been playing this game. You're writing people's checks because your society can't keep up with the cost of things. You're trying to plug and play. And then what do you do one day if you just started over the currency model? We don't want to use cash anymore, the dollar. We'll use a uh, digital currency and... I don't know if you guys know this, but when we turned it on, our balance said zero again. So we don't owe anybody any money in this currency. So all of that fake life that we were doing, where we were charging interest rates from all of our people, where we were taxing and taxing and taxing and borrowing from this country to do this, we're going to use this currency now to buy fuel. We're going to use this currency now to trade internationally. And our debt is zero on that currency. And then all of a sudden, all that debt, what do you think happens to that real value? It becomes next to nothing because the real currency value is X. And this right. dollar drops off the table because no one trades in it anymore. So you know how easy that would be to pay that debt off? <laughs> We're going to give you 400 of X crypto whatevers. That right. should wipe out that cash dollar debt that doesn't mean anything, doesn't it? Yes, it, the I think the whole crypto thing is gonna it's gonna turn some heads, man. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you're in it at all. Buying I just did a little like that. some brief reading. I haven't. Uh, I'm not a day trader in the cryptos. I've heard of a lot yeah. of people getting burned. Um, but you know, I'd say that's, uh, we'll do cryptos for another day. I appreciate you coming on. I hope you had a good time. I think, uh, if anybody's got any questions, jump in the comments, you know, jump in here and, uh, interact with us, but please feel free to watch my other episodes. We've got a, another episode where we did a, a whole EV car experience with my brother. Dive into that one now.